0: Welcome to Truly Fit, the online fitness marketplace
1: connecting pros
0: and clients through unique fitness business software.
1: Welcome to the Truly Fit podcast. I'm your host, Steve Washuta, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's podcast, we will be speaking with Linda Lippin about pregnancy, pre-pregnancy, intra-pregnancy, post-pregnancy, diastasis recti. We're going to be speaking about pelvic health, all the things surrounding pregnancy, how you can help your clients out, exercises to potentially stay away from, things to look at and understand the anatomical nuances of uh, having a baby. And, you know, we've done this in the past. We've had other podcasts surrounding this, but we're going to continue to cover this topic because in the National Academy of Sports Medicine Facebook forum, it's probably a question that's asked every single day, which means that people are still not comfortable with it. We don't learn a lot about it in our studies as personal trainers so you have to have the the day-to-day experience with it or you have to really do your own due diligence and read up on it so today uh, Linda is going to be speaking with us about all things surrounding pregnancy it is a good one with no further ado here's Linda Linda, welcome back to the Truly Fit Podcast, round two with us here. We had a great conversation last time and also have great conversations off camera, talk and shop. So it's good to uh, reunite with a a personal trainer and an instructor during these odd COVID times, still not being able to see trainers all the time, only seeing our clients. Uh, Today though, in particular, we thought we would talk about dealing with clients who are either pregnant, uh, potentially about to be pregnant, Uh, post-pregnancy, and all the issues that are associated with, that come along with pregnancy and how we deal with them. So I'm going to throw to you, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, I would say the the common uh, training techniques and tips and issues that are taught to us as trainers when we're dealing with people who are either postpartum or are currently pregnant.
0: Okay, great. Um, So realistically, when you're dealing with somebody who's currently pregnant, Um, you know, a lot, I go a lot by how the client feels. Um, some women are fine laying on their backs throughout their pregnancies. You know, the big issue with lying on your back is simply that the, um, the growing fetus starts to basically sit on top of your aorta and (laughs) other organs and basically, make you a little uncomfortable, make you a little bit dizzy, make you a little bit nauseous. Now, again, it depends where the baby is, right? So for some women, it is not a problem. They don't have an issue with it up until their, you know, final month. Um, some women just can't. And then we have, you know, triangle pill- pillows and wedges and all kinds of ways that you can prop them up a little bit <laughs> so they're not lying all the way down. But again, if they're fine with it, if they're sleeping on their backs, if they're doing that at home, it's okay to have them in that position, you know, within a gym or or within a studio. Um, Most pregnant women are going to become uncomfortable on their stomachs. They just are. Um, It doesn't mean they can't be on all fours. It doesn't mean, you know, they can't be in other positions um, where they are prone in relationship to the ground, but... um, But if you just think about it, if you've got like a basketball-sized thing (laughs) happening in your abdomen, and then your boobs are getting bigger and they're sore, lying on your stomach's just not gonna be a great time. (laughs) So again, you know, for simply having our clients get the most good bang for the buck in a session, why put them into a position you know where it can be so uncomfortable or you have to do so much pillow jamming and modifications to get them in it um, when they can do plenty of things sitting plenty of things standing plenty of things lying on their sides plenty of things you know in on all fours um, and in other positions you know we just give things up for a little while Um, First trimester is usually not a lot of change, right? There's not a lot of physical change. Everything's really internal. Second and third trimester is where you start to see a lot of hypermobility happen. Um, And I think what everyone has to remember is that pregnant women have a hormone. It's called (laughs) relaxin. It is called relaxin for a reason. It is basically meant so that your connective tissue can start to stretch enough basically to allow a big enough separation at your pubic synthesis to allow the baby to get through. So you've got a lot of movement in the SI joint, particularly, and a lot of movement in the pubis, okay? So the pelvis becomes a little little unstable and a little wonky, right? Um, But that relaxant also affects every joint. So these are those moments where suddenly, sometimes your really stiff clients feel a little bit looser And they kind of want to move more into bigger ranges of motion, which isn't always the greatest thing to do, because, again, this is a temporary moment (laughs) of hypermobility simply for a specific purpose, right? but you'll see a lot of pregnant women with bad SI issues, right? We see a lot of sacroiliac issues in, in pregnant women during pregnancy and after pregnancy. Um, you can also see a lot of disc herniations happening um, during that time because, again, you know we have connective tissue that are holding the vertebrae together. <laughs> All of the connective tissue starts to overstretch, and I think it's just kind of important, you know, to remember that. Um, And then the final thing really for me is not working, really not working abs so much, right? Because the abs now have to expand. They have to stretch, they have to get bigger. And what we're trying to do is allow for those muscles (laughs) to stretch out without getting any kind of overstretch or over separation right? So what we see happening in a lot of women um, is what we call a diastasis recti, right? And all that, all that means is it's an overstretch at the linea alba, right? Which is that line straight down through the front of the rectus. You can see it in the middle of the rectus abdominis. That's what, it's what separates the six-pack. <laughs> but it's also where all of the abdominal muscles meet, all of them, Everything comes together at that linea alba. So what happens is when you start to get some separation and overstretch in those two halves of the rectus, the whole abdominal area becomes a little weakened. I always say it's it's you, you know when you're carrying like either a plastic trash bag or a uh, plastic grocery bag. I mean, we don't see them as much anymore, <laughs> but they still exist. And sometimes you get an area of the bag that's really overstretched and becomes a little clearer. And and you just know that that could go at any moment and it could be bad. That's essentially what a diastasis recti is.
1: Except it's in your app. Yeah, that's a great visual and uh, also fantastic anatomical information that you gave there. So thanks for that. Um, And there's a lot I can go from here and, and secondary questions. First, I want to mention that uh, my wife is currently pregnant. She just started her third trimester. And starting in the second trimester, she had very bad SI joint issues. She's got sciatica basically. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really matter what she does. I think because of their relaxing, because of the issues going on, we can we can kind of fight now at this point uh, and by using the proper stretches. To, to kind of soften it and, and make sure that she's not in that much pain, but it's still gonna be there, uh, unfortunately. And I, I don't know if on the front end, we could have done things to strengthen areas where it wouldn't have been as bad, I, I don't know. I mean, it's um, uh, in hindsight, but, but I do know that that's, that is an issue. And, and a lot of my uh, pregnant clients that I've worked with in the past, the, that, that same uh, SI joint issue that you talked about and having, having those back issues, uh, happen to be and you know and you and I treat it the same way provided I, i'm 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 also concerned and I, I understand what they're going through as far as being able to lay in certain positions or not lay in certain positions but i do treat it the same way personally as i do my other clients who have sciatica as far as the stretches that i do sort of the crossover leg stretch piriformis stretch making sure you know the hamstrings aren't too tight and making sure things are kind of even on both sides we don't have tight you know um and we're not tight in the front either so it's um you you go through the same stretches. But uh, I want to move back to what you just talked about, because I think it's very important just to reiterate that much like a client who comes off an ACL surgery or a client who has back pain or a client who has elbow pain, we all deal with pain differently. Our bodies all work uh, slightly differently. And we have to know that when we're working with these clients, like you said, with with, uh, someone who's pregnant or post-pregnancy, that there isn't one clear blanket answer. There's not never put them supine, never put them prone, never do this. We have to look at them individually, see what their goals are, see how they respond. Is that baby sitting high or low? Could that make a difference on whether we're putting them on their back or not? And, and look at all the different avenues before making an overall prescription. So if your goal is to say, I'm gonna write out on a piece of paper for all my pregnant clients, these are the things to do and these are the things not to do, I think that's a bad idea. You need to assess them individually.
0: Exactly, because, you know, you're going to have some women, like, I remember a bunch of years ago when my friend Miriam um, finally got pregnant, she'd been trying for a really long time, and she ended up having twins. Now, she's probably well under five feet tall. She ended up, I swear to you, she was, she was bigger around than she was tall at some point during this pregnancy, but... She had a diastasis recti. Now, that wasn't anyone's issue of training or anything. That was simply an issue of being a tiny human um, and then growing to fully (laughs) tiny humans at the same time, right? There was just, I mean, there was nothing she could do about that. However, she's been able to pretty much pull it back together. And I think it's also important to note that along with that, you're going to get back tightness, right? Because if you get overstretched abdominals, obviously the back's going to get tighter. And then when you have such an imbalance, you know, usually with pregnancy, the rib cage ends up shoving a little bit up and forward into a little bit more kind of, of thoracic extension. Any woman with a sway back, your sway back's going to be way accentuated, <laughs> during pregnancy, because it's going to, you're going to default to the most comfortable kind of postural position, but it also causes a lot of tightness and weirdness through the diaphragm, um, through like the internal obliques and those muscles, right. And into the pelvic floor and into the glutes. And that doesn't mean that you know, that every woman needs like, specific pelvic floor work. Some do, and I send them to physical therapists and, you know, they get that work there and we incorporate as much of it as we can, um, in Pilates, but, um, but basically that whole area kind of, of the torso, you know, is affected because as I always remind my clients, our whole breathing mechanism is essentially a closed system right? And that's how we are able to kind of form that vacuum as the lungs empty that then forces everything to expand for the lungs to fill. All of this is kind of dependent on all of the muscles around the torso, around that kind of canister, you know, that's holding us together, that all of those muscles are functioning the way they should be. And again, if you have a big overstretch happening in any place in that canister of your torso, that's going to affect breathing, right? It's going to affect intra-abdominal pressure. um, And it's going to affect how our bodies deal with intra-abdominal pressure. So intra-abdominal pressure is simply the pressure that you get down into your abdomen, say when you inhale, right? You inhale, the diaphragm starts to expand, right? The lungs start to fill, ribs can expand belly can expand, pelvic floor drops, it allows all that expansion. But imagine that if you had a diastasis recti, you know, say four fingers, so you got that much space in between the two halves of your abdominals, and suddenly you're attempting to get good deep breaths, that's going to be hard. It's going to be even worse if you put yourself in a position of already increased intra-abdominal pressure. And this is where I kind of just get into these general things that especially at the beginning of having diastasis and probably, you know, I would say um, late trimesters in pregnancy, you really want to look at avoiding. Um, One of those is any kind of abdominal crunch position. Any position where you're in forward, basically forward thoracic flexion, right? Because as soon as you close those two halves together, you increase the intra-abdominal pressure. And what you'll see, right, in, the rectus abdom- in a uh, diastasis recti is you will see literally a peak of tissue come up between the two halves at the linea alba. You'll, you'll literally see like a mountain peak, right? Or a dome. And that's what you're trying to avoid because what we're trying to do is get that tissue to some kind of better tensile strength so that it can hold everything in (laughs) when you increase intra-abdominal pressure. So, you know, the positions that increase intra-abdominal pressure are closing in the front ribs to hips, right? Um, We also get increased intra-abdominal pressure through the front of our abdomens when we're in prone positions. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do them for diastasis recti. It just means you got to modify them, work on all fours, and really just work on holding it together before you, you know, do anything bigger. Um, Other positions that increase intra-abdominal pressure automatically are pressing things overhead, right? So overhead presses, military presses, things like that are going to be an issue because again, if you can't hold it together in the front, that work's gonna go someplace it shouldn't. And it's not just gonna be in the shoulders. You know, I've had clients seriously who have come to me after working with other trainers, both in Pilates and in the gym, and literally had their trainers say to them, well, if you were doing this properly, it would be fine for your diastasis. And of course my response is, but you're with your trainer. You're basically paying to make sure you do things properly. Um, So what does that say? I don't even know what to say with that. And I was like, yeah, you know, just tell them you're not doing overhead pressing or crunches until I give clearance. How about that? I'm like, and if they can't figure out work to give you in a gym situation that doesn't involve those two things, then I don't quite know what you're paying for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I echo those thoughts. I, you know, I do think too, when, when we're talking about pregnancy, it it is important though, for clients or for, I should say for trainers working with their clients to get them prepared also. Right. So if you know, if, if your client, you might not be tight enough with your client to have them tell you that they're trying to get pregnant, but, but if you are right, if you have that relationship and they say, I'm, I'm in the works, it's important. Then if you are a personal trainer, if you don't, let's say have a Pilates background to start understanding breathing and how you engage the smaller muscles, because mm-hmm. that is going to help your client not only throughout the process, you know, to sort of hug the baby rather than brace down, and to do yeah. all, to, to do all these proper things, and also post-pregnancy, which we can talk about uh, in a little bit. I think it's important, you know, while you're lying in bed. And you're, and you're laid up for weeks to do those small things, to go through your, your breathing routines, right. To, to make sure you still have kind of that neural activation of those smaller muscles in the pelvic floor and start to build that back up before you get into exercise. But, you know, if you're just a, unfortunately a a general personal trainer, uh, sometimes you might not have that knowledge of breathing and, and engaging some of those smaller muscles. So to, to educate yourself in that area. Um, whether that's you getting a uh, certification through Pilates or just doing some sort of more uh, in-depth research on breathing, I think is going to help your client through the, through the entire process.
0: Oh, definitely. And, um, you know, other things that clients can be working on prior and, you know, first trimester kind of early on is a lot of pelvic stability a lot of torso stabilization, a lot of differentiated movement at the hips. This is not the time to be tightening the abs <laughs> all the time. This is the time to work them, but also keep them stretched out enough so that again, we know what happens to super tight muscles when we try to suddenly stretch them. It never goes well. We, you know, all watched athletes and had friends who tore, you know, bicep tendons and quad tendons and all kinds of fun things, partly by, you know, trying to stretch something that was not ready to stretch. And as we know, when our muscles, you know, don't want to stretch, even though our, and to preserve the bones, our bodies will pop the tendons.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think, this, or
0: pop ligament.
1: I think this, it's also a really good time during these processes to relay back to our clients and to remember that our job is long-term health and wellness to help our clients. It's you know, it's not just a six-week program to, to make your biceps defined. So, you know, by telling your client it's okay, we're gonna be taking two steps backwards so that we can take three steps forwards. We're gonna learn to do the right things. I'm worried about your long-term health. I want you a year from now, after this baby, to be better than you were before. And the only way we can right. get you there. Is to teach you all the other things leading into it. It's like leading into an event almost, right? The pregnancy is an event. You're prepping for the event, and you're gonna, you know, focus on the other things later on.
0: Right. I mean, cardiovascular stuff, co 2 max, like all of that is super important. Endurance work, super important. Um, you know, upper body work, right? Because they're going to be carrying a baby, literally. <laughs> Holding, carrying, nursing, holding, holding while doing other things. And it's not like you're just carrying, you know, dead weight. You're carrying squirming, kicking, <laughs> trying to do things weight. Yeah. Um, it's a whole it's a whole different ballgame.
1: Yeah, and I would say postural alignment things too, because a lot of women tend to and I don't want to just say women, anybody we all tend to do things one-sided, right? So it's like, I always reach to the right to do this. I always carry the baby on the left side. That's going to mess with your postural alignment. You're going to be overworking, underworking muscles. We know what happens synergistic dominance, so on and so forth. So I think it's important to keep them cognizant of that, you know, make sure that when you're, when you're holding the baby, you're not always slouching down to the left and, or that you switch the arms and to do all these things, to get your client thinking like how we think start thinking like a trainer.
0: Right. And this is where, you know, if you're thinking about the way um, people are holding things, like seriously working on, on cleans, it's a good time to do that, to work on just racking <laughs> and picking up from the floor. It's a good time to work squats and deadlifts. It's a good time to work um, like surrender squat kind of things, because people are going to be kneeling to give baths and things like that, and they're going to need to be able to get back up and down um, from these positions. So some of the exercises that, you know, that I'm throwing out are are not necessarily typically what we would think about for <laughs> getting ready to get pregnant or, um, or, you know, the already pregnant woman. But again, think about the kinds of things that she's going to have to be doing while holding a, you know, squirming you know, 10 to 20 pound objects, right? So, uh, you know, even in, even in like faster weight of Fat Loss and the other prog- and programs that I'm, I'm involved in, like the, our joke is always, and it's not a joke, if you don't have a heavy enough weight at home, pick up your kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you can do the goblet squats with pulse just like that. Um, but, but, you know, all of that work to kind of keep the hips going, to keep the hips mobile. Um, Not working a lot on pelvic tilt, what happens is, you know, as the abdominals get overstretched and things get weak, the pelvis naturally wants to start curling under, and that's where also you can get a lot of issues in the sacroiliac joint from being in that consistent posterior Uh, pelvic tilt that's kind of unsupported and just kind of locked in. Um, The more work you can give women in literally letting their their tail kind of hang (laughs) behind them, kind of tail up work um, in terms of, you know, bird dogs and and different things like that, that's going to be fine for them. Side plank, all of that work is actually great, um, you know, for people who can support it. Now, for things like running and stuff like that, it really just, again, it's going to depend on the woman, but if someone's really, really super pregnant has, you know, uh, is carrying large for whatever reason, running all the time is just not going to be so great again for the pelvic floor and the diastasis, because you've got the hypermobility. Now you're kind of bouncing up and down. Um, And I've had, you know, several clients who have said, if somebody had said this to me, I would have cut the running down. Like I didn't have to run that much while I was pregnant. I could have done something else. Um, but they told me running was fine.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and you know, you're, you're right. And our job as trainers is to make sure we tell our clients, hey, if you don't want to, if you don't think you can run and you're confused about what else you can do, as far as cardiovascular health is concerned, that's what we do, right? Come to us as trainers, and we we will make sure that we keep things creative in order for the client not to get bored. and and that and that's I understand from their perspective, especially if you are a runner, and that is how you get your endorphins up. Sometimes it's hard to match that. Uh, somebody who runs five I, miles a day, you you can try to match it on an elliptical. It's not going to work. You, you have to bring yeah. in something else. What I do with my clients personally but you know, this, I have a background in, in kickboxing. So I'll do, uh, I'll do a lot of boxing with my clients who are runners right. who then can't run, whether they have a knee issue or they're pregnant, they still get those endorphins out and it's still sort of a very cardiovascular event. So you just, you gotta think on your feet and be creative.
0: Right, exactly. Um, and you know, once the baby's born and, and you're really kind of working, you know, the postnatal, again, the biggest, you know, the biggest issue with the diastasis recti situation, um, and really for all women after giving birth is not bearing down, right? No valve salva maneuvers happening, none, none of the holding the breath while pushing, like none of those things that, you know, we might give for specific training reasons can happen. Right. It all has to be about those abdominals hugging in and pulling in and up. And I'm not always looking for women to close their diastasis, right? Like we talk in those terms. The only way to fully heal a diastasis recti is to have it sewn back together. Okay. The fact of the matter is, is that is not a surgery that is covered by health insurance, at least in the US, because diastasis recti is considered of the cost of pregnancy yeah right so you just got to suck that up um i have had clients who have had the money who have had you know the the repair but it's considered cosmetic surgery and and it's extremely expensive but what i am looking for is at, at first the tissue in the linea alba with the diastasis recti feels very squishy and mushy, and soft. Like you could literally feel like you could just stick your fingers through. Now, as women get stronger, and again, and they work in a safe, more kind of neutral pelvis, differentiated movement at the hip, with proper breathing, and again, avoiding positions where you're automatically increasing intra-abdominal pressure, because we're just trying to teach them how to do that, right? As as you start to see them being able to do that in like a squat or whatever, then you can start to look at, you know, putting them on their backs and doing a crunch or trying an overhead press or something. But what you're looking for is for that peak not to happen, for the bear down not to happen, and for those abdominals to really kind of stay pulled in and up. And after a few weeks of doing that, you can literally feel the tensile the tensile strength of the tissue change. And instead of just being kind of squishy and mushy and, and you know, soft, it feels more almost like a, a trampoline. So that even if the two halves of the, abdom- of the abdominals aren't closed all the way, and we see plenty of photos online of celebrities and athletes and other folks who have a clear separation. They have a diastasis, but you can see that the tissue in between is taut. Right. That's really the best-case scenario. That's what you're looking for. It's kind of a functional diastasis. Um, it is something that requires pretty, you know, relatively consistent, like attention, just in terms of making sure that you're not bearing down, making sure that you know things are held together. Um, and working in that way, you're going to help strengthen the sacroiliac joint. Working in that way, you're going to help strengthen the abdominals and the pelvic floor. Working that way, you're going to help strengthen the, the abdominals and the back muscles in a place where you're not overusing the back. And if you're working you know, pretty much neutral pelvis, um, then you're going to get some good strengthening in through that lumbar region anyway, which should help any disc herniations or anything else that's going on. Um, and then, it, you know, it usually takes like six to eight weeks of that kind of training of really leaving out the, out, you know, traditional ab work, leaving out the overhead pressing, leaving out um, big rotation, right? Because if you just think about an overstretched plastic bag and filling it and then twisting it, it could clearly rip at any given moment. Um you know, avoiding those kind of bigger movements, staying very controlled. And then once you can see that, that thing is holding together, she can be on all fours, that thing is holding together, maybe a plank, the thing holds together, then you can start to add, then you can start to add a heavier weight or squats or overhead presses. But again, without the bearing down.
1: Yeah. And I think there's, you know, this is another whole conversation, but there's a big stigma at least in the personal training community about using machines. And I hate it because they're there for a reason. We shouldn't always use them. It's important as personal trainers, we understand and to teach our clients to move in all directions, typically, right? A client who doesn't have any issues, right. we want them moving in all planes of motion. We want them moving in a functional movement patterns, but machines are great for things when you have um, uh, limitations due to injuries or potential injuries. So things like pregnancy, right? If you if you want to find a way to work your clients, you know, quads or chest, and you can't think of it without them engaging their core, and you're worried about them engaging their core too much, you can put them on machines. You can use machines from time to time, mm-hmm. and and you have to use everything at your disposal in order to use those things. So it's not just about uh, being creative. If you want to get to your goal, sometimes you have to dumb it down and and use sort of the the easier right. Uh, functionalities.
0: And even if you're a trainer who typically does use, you know, free weights, barbells, dumbbells, that could be the time that you put your client in the Smith. right? <laughs> just for the, just so that your client has the psychological knowledge and if she lets go of that bar, it's not going to hit yeah. anything. It's just going to sit there, you yeah, know? I- um, and it gives that structure and that sort of, you know, it's the same thing when you close a kinetic chain, right? Like, Structure helps kind of calm the nervous system down a little bit. You kind of know what's expected. And, you know, I agree with you that there are times when we need to rein our clients in. I mean, if you're watching your client do a chest press and she's like hypermobile enough and all over the place that you can see there's like way too much movement here and way too much, you know, scapular movement that's just kind of getting involved and just weird and it doesn't look right. There is no reason to not just go back to a machine chest press.
1: Yeah, and it's if a you're-
0: controlled range of motion. It's controlled position, and for a few weeks, it's going to be fine.
1: Yeah, there's sometimes where you don't. That's it, perfectly put. So if I'm watching my client do a squat. And he, I should say, not he or she, she in this circumstance is concerned, let's say post-pregnancy with not bearing down and things of that nature, right? And, and we're also focused on making sure there's no knee valgus and making sure her knees aren't poking over her toes, and making sure she has a neutral spine and all these other things, it may be too much. But if I put her on a leg press machine, you know, in a safe manner, she can just focus on working those leg muscles and not have to worry about all those other things and still stay strong in this sort of post injury, because that's essentially what it is, right? You were mm-hmm. coming off, a lot of women are actually coming off in, uh, a surgery, right? Because this could be a C-section, but either way, this is, this is trauma done to the body. There's nerve damage. There is less ability to feel certain muscles in those areas. So you have to kind of start your way and, and build back up. And for those of you who aren't as familiar with a lot of the, I should say, core parlance and the anatomical parlance and really the breathing associated with those things. It's time for you to get associated with those things because if you want to be able to tell your client how to hug the baby and how to not bear down, you have to also know how to do those things yourself, right? Until you've done them, you're not going to be able to relay that in all the different ways in which you need to because there's going to be some clients, and I talk about this a lot, when you're verbal cueing, who just don't get it. So the only way you can continue to, to make sure they get it is to use other analogies and other words until they finally get it. But if you yourself don't have experience with it, you're not gonna have the vocabulary and the, the sort of the quick, the quick creative way to give them other analogies.
0: Right, and then you know, it's also you know, knowing that you know, some days might be completely different. You, know, you might have a day when, when she's just really, really tired. And the diastasis is popping like all the time because it's, the energy just isn't there um, to have that focus. And then maybe that's a day when you focus more on bridging and <laughs> sideline tip work and some side blanking and all of the other things that you can do that will help strengthen another, also another place where machines can come in handy because again, it's just getting that controlled environment. You know, just giving them a little bit more structure, and you know, so many tra- you know, so many of us now are kind of anti-structure, and, want, and really, and just want to work, you know, fun, functional exercise, like all over the place. But, but as we know, there are just some times when clients really do, you know, need um, that structure and the stability of the equipment. It's you know, what, what like what we always say in Pilates, right? Is that mat is the hardest. So of the work yeah. it's just it just is. I mean you, you know to get as hard as the mat is on the apparatus you got to go like light spring and get really funky in your work and that's when you're doing the push-ups and the star and all that stuff in the, in the super advanced right <laughs> that is never stuff that we teach clients the first time they walk in the studio
1: <laughs> yeah no, you're right and and to to go back to something you just said before which is which is a great point Uh, you have to check in with all of your clients, but especially your pregnant clients prior to each appointment. So you might have uh, a a particular workout that you already have set out for that day, whether it's working, uh, helping their DR close or whatever else, working on their legs. But uh, when you check in with them, if they give you any hesitation otherwise, and they're giving you information that they're not ready to do this today, that something's acting up, that their back is hurting them, you have to be, be ready to change on a dime and go to something else and not, not be completely structured and saying, all we're going to do is try to help your DR out. You, ha- you have to have other plans in mind.
0: Definitely. Um, and, you know, and again, that's, that's why I always like to talk about just like kind of the general, you know, rule is we're just dealing with intra-abdominal pressure. You've got to overstretch in the canister in the pressurized canister. And yet we have to deal with that overstretch before you can really, you know, have her navigate the intra-abdominal pressure. That's all this is. It's just about how our bodies navigate through um, more pressure in the abdominal cavity. And normally we just don't have to generally think about it. So that, you know, that makes it really easy. Um, but, you know, you can certainly take a client that has diastasis recti and is having a bad back day and still give her work that's going to be fine for her diastasis recti, but is also going to help with the back pain. Or maybe you've just been doing a whole lot of pelvic stability and hip work and she wakes up one morning and her shoulder's out because she slept wrong, you know, and then you're going to figure out how to deal with that. So it is, um, I... I I feel like trainers who aren't sure with clients like this, who truly aren't sure, should refer those clients out.
1: Couldn't agree more. Um,
0: I, I, I think we should all be training our clients in our zones of excellence. I think it's only fair to ourselves and it's only fair to the clients. Um, if you're not ready for stuff like this, learn it. And, but while you're in the process of learning it, you know, trainers who can take these clients.
1: And for the young, yeah, for the young trainers out there, it's only going to further your career as far as the networking is concerned, because when you have a pelvic floor specialist, uh, a, an orthopedic doctor, a sports medicine doctor, when you have a, whatever podiatrist, when you have all these people in your Rolodex and you're able to send them out to the appropriate person, not only does your client go, oh, this, this person is a well-connected professional, they appreciate it because they know that you're interconnected in the medical community, but inevitably those people will then trust that you're, that they'll send people back to you knowing that you trust experts, right? So, so they will work with you and you will get those referrals back tenfold. So don't try to be all things to everybody. It's good if you know this stuff already, but even sending them to somebody who you trust in the Pilates community to say, hey, listen, my client needs to work a little bit more on their breathing, small muscles, those sorts of things, not my expertise. Do you mind working with them for whatever, half hour, hour sessions a week to work on that? And and then tell me what you did with them, and I'll, I'll try to replicate some of those things. And, and it's important to build those networking opportunities in the community.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I really feel like, you know, going back to the last discussion you and I had, when we were talking about imposter syndrome and all these issues that, that trainers have. I think we do get, we, we get scared to like refer clients to other trainers as if they're just going to never come back to us or it's never going, you know, to be a, a good thing. And I was, you know, I was thinking, and it's probably a lot of it has to do with like the circles that that I've traveled in, in my life. Right. But I've watched, um, I have a lot of clients who go to the Dog Pound here in New York City, right? And that was originally uh, the trainers who trained Hugh Jackman, right? And they got Hugh from Wolverine to dancing on Broadway, multiple times, right? Wolverine, dancing on Broadway. The Wolverine body does not do well dancing on Broadway. There's also the issue of getting people up to that size functionally and getting them back down from that size functionally without hurting them both metabolic, metabolically and you know, muscle-wise. Um, that's not my specialty, right? I don't do that.
1: Could I probably
0: figure it out maybe if I had enough time, <laughs> but my specialty but it doesn't have to be no because there's like this whole whole studio now of all the trainers who do that yeah right so literally when i have actors come to me or performers come to me and they're like look i gotta get you know much bigger or much smaller um for this particular role i'm like go see these guys like that's what they do (laughs) that's not what i do i can do other things for you but those guys at the dog pound refer clients to me all the time. Yeah. Because what I do is different, right? But what I and they also know it works because all their clients who see me are doing great with everything. And vice versa, right? So we've got this no like and once again that no like and trust factor. Um And I think, you know, it's important for all of us to realize that we don't need to work with every single client. We don't need to have every single specialty. (laughs) But if we're going to do it, we need to do it really, really well and really give it our best because, you know, we are realistically taking people through life, major life events through transformative life events. And, and we need to take that seriously.
1: There's also a good, uh, I guess you would call like a psychological component that it, it's not purposeful, but it's a, it's a good benefit that, that comes from this. When you send clients away, they naturally think, Oh, this person's either so busy or so confident that they can just ship me out to someone else. And that in turn gives you more cachet, so to speak, right? They're like, oh wow, look, uh-huh. look at that trainer. They, they're they willing to ship me off to someone else because in other industries that doesn't always happen, right? If you're, I don't know, a, you know, a, a hairdresser or if you're somebody who's like a construction person you might not ship out these other things because you're afraid to lose that money. But in our industry, it's more than that, right? We're not just creating a look. This isn't just vanity. We're worried about their long-term health and wellness. So we have to ship that out. And and again, all of these things have these, this networking, sending people away and building that cachet that you're that trainer who doesn't mind sending people away. It will come back to you tenfold yeah. and will build your business better long-term.
0: And doesn't that happen anyway? I mean, haven't we all had the experience of, you know, say you go to a dermatologist, but you get a specific diagnosis and it's, it's something obviously that that derm could probably deal with, but they're super busy and they have a colleague down the street who deals with your specific issue. So this one, you know, and they send you off and it's like, you know, why wouldn't you want to go to the more specific person? Does it mean you're never going to go back to your original dermatologist? No, you probably will for all of your other dermatology needs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And at the very least, if you don't, you're going to send your friends over there because you like them so much. So that's, you know, in in the world, that's how it works. Um, And I've noticed that in fitness and in Pilates, we tend not to do that. We just kind of want to kind of hold on um, and hoard them all. And it's not always to the best effect for us. Or the best outcomes, you know, for our clients. Because if we're stressed out about working with a client, because we're not really sure that we're doing the right thing or what we're doing, um, then you know, we're causing ourselves a whole lot of unneeded stress, and we're not serving anybody, really.
1: Prior to uh, hopping on here, recording. We were talking about how sometimes when you're in the fitness facility or gym, you watch other personal trainers and you see the equipment or the exercises they're doing. And you, and you almost like forget. You're like, oh, I remember I used to do that all the time. Let me let me bring that back into my routines because my routines gotten stale or, you know, I haven't used that that thing. And I think kind of adding to that conversation when you refer someone out more often than not, you still you connect with them and then they send exercises back to you that are phenomenal for you to use down the road for other clients who have that same issue. So let me give you a kind of a, a wholesale example here. I worked with golfers, but I was not TPI certified. I would send them once they got past my point, whatever I can do with them, right? I would make sure their lats were were stretched out I would make sure they had good mobility and thoracic rotation but when it got beyond me I would send them to a TPI specialist who would in turn send me exercises back to work on with that client so then when I had other clients down the road who came to me with those same issues I already had those exercises on hand that I knew worked because I got them from the specialist and then I didn't need to send them to the specialist right so it was almost like a one time fix for me that that gave me all these new exercises and all these new insights. Right. So it's it really it's it is it is against uh, your better judgment. You you have to force yourself to meet these people and s- send your clients away. It's it's only going to help you. Mm-hmm, for sure. So it's really the only way. <laughs> I want to uh, you know kind of bring this full circle here. You know we talked a lot about and I, I want you to either you know, kind of sum this up. I'll I'll first try to do it on the front end here, but. We talked a lot about about understanding that every client is different going through this pregnancy process. You know, intra-pregnancy, for lack of a better term, during pregnancy, post-pregnancy. We talked about how you know dealing with dr. Whether it's the depth, whether it's one finger that goes too deep, or whether it's four fingers that go too wide. You know, it's all a problem, right? They're all dealing with it, and there's no total way to fix it as far unless you get surgery. We just we have to work slowly to get it back. We talked a lot about how. It is important to use the proper breathing parlance and work on the pelvic floor muscles. And if you don't know how to do that, then either start to learn and/or refer them out to other fitness professionals who can who can better handle that. Is there anything else we can add to help personal trainers who are dealing with pregnant clients?
0: I think that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, it's 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 not an illness, right? <laughs> it's not you know, but just stay safe with people. And, you know, it's also re- reminder, big reminder that pregnancy is not the time to introduce a whole lot of newness, mm-hmm. and new routine. I mean, there's going to be things that you introduce and modify, because you might be taking somebody, you might be downgrading somebody from a more complex thing to a simpler program, not necessarily an easier program, but a simpler program right um so they might need a little instruction if you're doing things differently or giving them slightly different exercises but in general like if somebody hasn't run before it's not the time to start running Mm -hmm. if somebody you don't want to add brand new activities that that is definitely something that the medical community has come out with because your body's already dealing with something very very new especially if it's your first pregnancy
1: yeah, great right? body
0: has no idea what's going on. So
1: yeah, great information. For we forgot to mention that. And off the top, I think most trainers already know that, right? That it's kind of rule 101. That's the one thing we do learn uh, as certified personal trainers is not time to introduce new things. It makes perfect sense. You don't know how their bodies are going to adjust and adapt. And if you are going to introduce new things, make sure it's a, you know, a modification down, not a modification up. Uh, makes perfect sense. Linda, this has been Uh, Wealth of fantastic information here that the trainers can use. Uh, Let's plug some of your stuff, although I I always put it in the bio and put it on uh, Instagram and stuff. Let's plug some of your stuff. How do people reach out to you, whether they're trainers who have specific questions and they need help, or whether they're people who might want to potentially use you as as a trainer?
0: Great. So people can just go over to my website. It's lindalippin.com, spelled just like my name. Um, if you're a personal trainer, you're going to see that most of my stuff is geared for Pilates teachers simply because I am a, a master Pilates teacher. Um, but any of the stuff that I have for Pilates professionals, including that pricing, uh, which is lower for private sessions and things like that, can be used by certified, any certified fitness professional Um, and also from my website you can feel free to shoot me an email Um, folks can also book a free 15-minute consult if they just want to get a quick um, back and forth and ask me a quick question
1: awesome thank you very much Linda and look forward to speaking with you again on another truly fit podcast down the road thanks Steve remember to check out our social media sites which are all listed at truly fit app there you can find the polls to questions concerning potential upcoming topics for our podcast and leave your information or our colleagues and friends information who you would think best fit for discussion of that topic thanks again